Hey, do me a favor, put your hands together. My name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor of Restoration Church, and we gather as one church in multiple locations, hanging out here in Dover and in Plymouth and in Milton. And I'm so glad that we all get to be together for this series as we jump into uh, just about an annual tradition now of having a series about kingdom builders a series where we're praying, asking God to expand our hearts, expand our vision, expand, uh, you know, expand what's possible. And that video is just, you know, we've been watching it for a few weeks. We'll watch it for a couple more weeks uh, as we just uh, make sure kind of everybody in our church gets the chance to see and celebrate what, uh, what begun last year through Kingdom Builders and through our Miracle Offering. Now, before we jump into our message today, we need to have, uh, we need to, I, I, I just need to stop and uh, give an explanation from something last Sunday, all right? So if you were here in service last week, if you watched online last week, I was supposed to say, but I had a typo in one of my slides, I put a typo in one of my slides. I was supposed to say, in 1910, there were 600 million Christians across the world. Now, there are 2.6 billion. Billion is the word I was supposed to say last week. Billion. All right? The number of Christians across the world has increased by 2 billion over the last 112 years. That is living Christians on the earth today. That is not the number of people who've received Jesus as their savior in the last 112 years because it is much more than that. So the kingdom of God is significantly increasing, not decreasing, as I said last week. Now, I knew something was wrong last week, but I couldn't figure it out because when I'm like, and now, 2.6 million Christians, no one in the room responded. And I'm like, oh, man. Oh, man. Why, what is going on? Why don't they care? Why? <laughs> Why? So, anyway, billion, billion, billion. The kingdom of God is advancing Jesus promised he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and we are living in that. Well, it's Kingdom Builders and our, over our next few weeks, uh, we're gonna be moving toward, uh, toward our miracle offering and um, but Kingdom Builders is not just something we do one Sunday a year. It is, it is the culture of our church that we don't just have a church service for church people, and we don't just have church ministries for the church people. We don't just kind of create and craft this thing, that Restoration Church, according to the way we would like. No, we are moving and thinking much beyond that. We are not just trying to make a church for church people. We're, our heart and our mission given to us by Jesus is to build his kingdom to be kingdom builders. And so we think far beyond of our own household, we think far beyond of our church service, we think far beyond of our own preferences, 
and we're thinking, Jesus, what do you want? Jesus, how can you use us? Jesus, where are you moving? Jesus, where is your heart? And then we try to jump in to what he's doing to build his kingdom here locally and across the world. When I was 14 years old, uh, and if, you know, if you're new to the church, I, I grew up in Restoration Church. And so I've been here for a long, a long time as, as, a, uh, you know, as a kid and then a teenager and, and joining the pastoral staff in 2003. When I was a teenager, we used to have a Sunday night service. And, uh, and so you'd come to church and then you'd go home and you'd come back and it'd be another church service, entirely different message, different songs, and really a different focus. And that Sunday night when it got over, uh, uh, a, a girl in the church who happened to be my girlfriend, she said, hey, can we talk? And so we walked to the back of the auditorium and we sat down on the chairs that were reserved for, for mothers and, and sat down on those chairs and she, and she said, God told me to break up with you. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, you're not mad, are you? I'm like, well, I mean, I'm not gonna argue with God, you know, so that's fine. And, and so she kind of broke up with me there right after Sunday night service. And, and as, a, as a young man, I was like, well, what do I do now? So I, I, I was perplexed. How do you handle a breakup? You, you know, God told her to break up with me. What's wrong with me, God? <laughs> but, but so how do I handle this? So you, you, you know, so I probably did what most people would do. I just decided she'd be my enemy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, I, uh, so I'm like, my brother's got a dartboard. I've got some pictures. I guess that's what you're supposed to do. And so I, I generated and cultivated uh, a, a hate for a young lady that uh, really, um, I, I didn't need to. But anyway, it was fun. It was fun for a season. It was fun for a little while. Uh, but I wonder, from the room here, have any of you ever had a broken heart before? You'd, even at the other locations, you raise your hand, you've ever had your heart broken before? Some of you are the people I'm preaching against. Um, now, I wanna ask you another question, all right? And this question is gonna feel a little bit weird, but if we can switch gears from thinking romantically for a second. Have you ever asked God to break your heart? So it's a little bit different than having your heart broken. And God doesn't break our heart the way uh, a 14 year old, uh, you know, the way someone in a, you're in a relationship breaks your heart. And I will say this, um, don't ever, as a little dating advice, don't ever tell the person you're breaking up with that God told you to break up with them. Don't, just, don't, just don't use that. <laughs> just don't use that. Take that out of, your, uh, out of your excuses. But there's a, there, this question of, God, will you please break my heart? Will you take my heart? Will you shatter it in pieces? Will you make me compassionate and broken over this world and over our friends in our communities in a similar way that your heart is broken. One of the things we, you can read about in scripture is when Jesus, uh, you, you know, in that week before his execution, 
and he kind of cro- he's walking, he crossed over the mountain and could see Jerusalem now in the distance. Instead, he began to weep. He began to cry over Jerusalem, that his heart was broken for a city and for the people that it represented. We want our hearts to be moved by, com- moved by the Spirit of God, moved in compassion for people who don't know him, people who are far from him. In this series, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look and we're gonna kinda go through the book of Nehemiah together. We're gonna talk about Nehemiah, we're gonna talk about Ezra a little bit, we're gonna talk about this, uh, this time of history that, we, that we've referenced before. So even in our last series, we talked about, um, or at least on the podcast, we talked about the, the Babylonian captivity. We talked about how the people of Israel, their, their cities destroyed, Jerusalem's destroyed, the temple's destroyed. About 586 BC, it's ransacked. They are taken captive by, by the Babylonians. And in this 70-year exile, in this 70-year captivity, some pretty famous names, the three brothers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, Nehemiah, and Ezra, uh, just, to, just to name a few. And they serve God despite all the opposition around them not to serve God. They never compromise walking with God despite all the opportunity to forget everything that they've been taught. There's a lot to learn from every man, woman, and teenager that followed God during that period. In the part we're about to read, it is nearing, it is just about near the end of the exile. So there's been one invitation already from King Cyrus. If anybody wants to go back to your to Jerusalem, you can go back. And so there's you, you, you know a relatively small group of people. That goes. And Nehemiah, he works for the palace. He works for the king. He's the cupbearer. And what that means uh, is he's, you know, the king. He is the most powerful man in the world at this point, King Cyrus. He is just about the most hated man in the world right now. And Nehemiah is the guy who. Hey, before you take a drink of that uh, Diet Pepsi, King Cyrus, I'll have a sip of it first. And he's drinking it to make sure that no one's tried to poison the king. That's his job. Taking a sip of, you know, taking a sip of every drink right before the king drinks it. And this is his position. So obviously the king trusts Nehemiah, this Hebrew man. He trusts him that he's not gonna pretend and then hand the king something that's been poisoned. He couldn't be bought out himself. So we know Nehemiah is someone of great integrity, of great character, and of great influence. And in Nehemiah chapter one, we begin to read, Nehemiah's kind of, he's kind of on a lunch break and he, he, he sits down, he's talking with some people who have been to Jerusalem and he begins to kind of, and he begins to ask them, hey, tell me about what's going on. So we're gonna start reading here in uh, Nehemiah chapter one, verse number one. It says, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, 
in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. So one of the things about Nehemiah, Nehemiah in the Bible is one of the historical books. So there's books of poetry, there's uh, books of prophecy. This is one of the historical books. And so it is recounting historical events for the Jewish people and for us. And so this time right here, obviously we don't have a month of Kislev, and, um, but, but we know with a uh, matter of certainty that this was the first year of December in the year 446 BC. We, you know, based on their calendar, uh, the Persian calendar, we know this is when it happened. So this is documented. Um, uh, it was likely Ezra, who was a priest scribe, who, who wrote the book of Nehemiah, and is documenting everything that's happening. So verse number two says, Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. Remember, it's been 70 years. It had been destroyed. Now people are moving back. And mentally, we probably have a picture of of it being very positive. We have a picture of uh, just celebration and jubilee, and, uh, uh, but that's not what he hears. In verse number three, it says, they said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah responds, I think in a way that, that's shocking, which we'll, we're gonna take uh, quite some time talking about it. But Nehemiah it, it responds, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And what we read about right here, and what we've witnessed through scripture, through this historical document, is Nehemiah's heart breaking. His heart breaks for a place he's never lived, for people he's likely never met, and for a city that he has never seen. We, we, we may not know or understand this, but the Babylonian captivity has started. Nehemiah was born in captivity. His parents were, had been taken. And so he was born in captivity. He's raised in this captivity, and it's the only place he ever knows. But yet he's crying. He's mourning. He's praying and fasting for a city, for a people, for a nation that he's never lived in, he's never seen, he's never experienced. My prayer for our church this morning, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, for all of our locations, is that our hearts will be broken like Nehemiah's heart was broken. 
that, that what God does in us, what we see and what we hear in the weeks to come, what we've already seen, what we've already heard in the weeks past, that it will cause our hearts to be broken, that we would, that we would shed tears, that it would drive us to fast, it would drive us to pray, and that our hearts would be broken for places we will never live, for people we will likely never meet, and for cities we will never see. A couple of things this morning that I want you to ask God to break your heart over. All right, so what I want you to do while I'm saying it to you live, while I'm speaking, you can just say, yeah, God, do that. Break my heart there. But in the weeks to come, God, break my heart for these things. Give me compassion for these places. Give me compassion for these people. Give me burden for these things. The first is that our hearts would be broken for the lost. Those, the, the lost is a, a category we use in church that, um, that references people who have never given their life to Jesus. So it's not a derogatory statement. If you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you know, I would say, may our heart be broken for you. We consider you someone who's lost. And again, it's not derogatory, but it comes from Scripture where Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. So in this life, there are those who are wandering and there are those who have found Jesus. As a church, we don't want to be a church that's condemning and pointing fingers at people who haven't met Jesus. We want to people, be people who come around and say, hey, can I help you find something? And we'll be able to help them to discover and to find Jesus, the Savior of our soul. Paul he, you know, what we're reading about in Nehemiah, it's an Old Testament account, happened 2,500 years ago. But Paul, more recent uh, Bible author, uh, about 2,000 years ago, just about, he was a Jew, a Jewish man whose heart was broken for the Jewish people. And we read one of the moments his heart's broken in Romans chapter 9. He writes, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. I'm so again, I'm, I'm telling you the truth of, of what I'm saying. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. For my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. So my heart is broken with bitter sorrow for my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. He was saying, listen, my heart is so broken for them, I would receive the penalty of hell if it would allow them to be saved. But there's only one who could stand in our place, and that's Jesus. And every single one of us have to make that choice or that decision to follow him or not. 
And for Paul, he was broken because so many of his Jewish brothers and sisters were choosing to reject Jesus and not receive him. He was broken for the Jewish people. Nehemiah is broken for the Jewish people. And this morning I would ask, who in New Hampshire is going to be broken for the people in New Hampshire? You, you know, in the next couple of weeks as you go trick-or-treating or you go to trunk-or-treat, I want you to think about this, and maybe you've never ever thought about this before, but I want you to think, how many people that you are going trick-or-treating with don't yet know Jesus? How many of the people that you're walking around that trunk-or-treat field with, or that parking lot, how many of them don't know Jesus? In New Hampshire, I mean, that's about 97% of the people that you'd be hanging out with that evening. That's about 97% of your community, likely. May our hearts be broken. May we pray and mourn and fast that people haven't had the great opportunity to meet Jesus. We pray also that our hearts would break for those who are in danger. In Nehemiah, you know, the walls torn down, the gates have been burned. Without, without walls and without a door, that means those in the city will be ransacked again and again. Walls and doors were uh, kind of like a, a police department. They were protection for the people living in that city. One of my, one of my friends who's a, pa, who's a pastor in Maine, a few years ago, maybe like eight years ago, they went on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And they were doing preaching and then service projects for different people. And there was a lady uh, that was continually, she was being raped continually. At night, she, she was a, a, a single mom at night. Uh, people would go into her house and take advantage of her. And the missions team, the pastor and the mission team that went to Dominican Republic, they built a door for her house. Protection. It was safety. And Nehemiah is thinking a similar way. Without walls, without gates, there's danger. Last week, we talked about the increasing persecution around the world. And I want us to have our hearts broken for those who are enduring that. Maybe mourn with those who mourn. I think in our country, if someone faces persecution, we can distance ourselves from them. And we begin to think, well, they should have done it a different way. They should have, they, you know, maybe they shouldn't have taken so bold of a stand. Maybe they, and we can even separate ourselves from Christians facing persecution 
when we should be rallying around them. We should be standing beside them. We should be trying to strengthen them. Hebrews 13.3 says, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. And he's talking about believers who are in prison. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Break our hearts, Lord God, for those brothers and sisters in Christ who are in danger. Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes on to, uh, he goes on into a prayer and, and, and his prayer is recorded here. And this next part in verse number five that I want us to look at and I want us to pray is God break our hearts over our own sins. Break our hearts over the sins that we've allowed in our life, over the sins that we're participating in, over the sins that we don't even maybe today recognize as sin. Break our hearts over our sins. Verse number five, then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and who obey his commands, listen to my prayer Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. He's confessing for how they've lived now. He's confessing for behaviors that caused them to get put into exile to begin with, that caused the Babylonian captivity to begin with. But he's not pointing fingers at everyone else. He's saying, you know, me and my family. You've asked us to do some things that we haven't obeyed. You've asked us to take steps that we haven't followed. And as, church, as a church, as people who follow Jesus, we can what maybe we don't realize is that there's a couple categories of sin. There are sins of commission and sins of omission. And sins of, sins of commission are sins, they are sins uh, that are about things that you've done but you shouldn't have. So you've done something but you shouldn't have done it, that's a sin of commission. A sin of omission is a sin, those are the things you should have done but didn't do. You should have done something, but you didn't do it. That's a sin of omission. James 4, 17 says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Some of us need to pray a prayer that says something like, God, forgive me for not doing anything. You haven't been murdering people. You haven't been stealing. You haven't been gossiping. But you haven't been sharing. You haven't been helping. You haven't been giving. You haven't been praying. God, forgive me. As part of your church in the least church state in the country, forgive me for doing nothing. 
Nehemiah goes on to pray in verse number eight. Please remember, and man, you guys are free to come up at all of our locations. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Our prayer, our prayer, and how I want you to pray this week, how I want you to pray for the rest of your life. You're praying, God, break my heart. And God, do not break your promises. Break my heart and don't break your promises. And that's what Nehemiah is, is here praying right now. God, you've said that if we don't obey you, you'll scatter us among the earth. And we're, we're witness to that right now, God. I'm, I, I, I'm living in the... In the I serve, for, I serve a pagan king. I'm living in a pagan land. But you've also said that you'll gather all your people back together again. God, break my heart. Please don't break your promise. And church, one of the promises I've already spoken about today is Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If we're here sitting in New Hampshire, the least unchurched state in the country, then our prayer is, God, break my heart for so many people who don't know you, for so many people who experienced a bad representation of you, who experienced uh, so many difficult things in church, who, who, who who've just been lured in, into sin and addiction and problems, who have just never had the opportunity to hear, God, break my heart for all those things, but God, I just pray you will not break your promises. You've said, Jesus, you're going to build your church. And if you're doing it across the world, you can do it in New Hampshire. If you're doing it in Texas, you can do it in New Hampshire. If you're doing it in New York City, you can do it in Dover and Plymouth and Milton and Concord and beyond. God, you made a promise. Don't break your promise. Don't break your promise, Lord God. He begins, he continues in verse number 10, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Church, that's us. We're God's servants. He rescued us. He saved us. He's delivered us. He's forgiven us. We now are his servants. Oh Lord, hear my prayer and listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. Nehemiah now, in his days of mourning, of tears, of fasting and prayer, he began to get an idea of making a request to a king, and he's asking God now for favor in that plan. I want you, God, break my heart. 
Break my heart, break my heart for the lost people. Break my heart for people in danger. Break my heart, God, for New Hampshire. Break my heart, God, for my city. I want you to remind God of his promises so you need to read your Bible. You need, to, you need to know what God has promised. You need to know what Jesus has promised. You need to remind him of those promises. And then he's gonna drop an idea in your head or an idea in your heart. And I want you to begin to make a plan and begin to think about what you could do and begin to ask God to bless you in that plan. We'll look at this in the weeks to come, but months later, Nehemiah, he will have a chance to talk to the king. And he takes that opportunity. Ask God to break your heart and ask him to mobilize you to be a solution. Ask him to mobilize you, church, to be a solution. We're in our kingdom builders. I have said it a few times, but if you're not familiar what it is, these are the things we're doing, global, local, and future, to build the kingdom of God. Global missions projects, local church expansion, raising up future Christian leaders. We're deliberately about those things. We're trying to find solutions in those things. Those are the parts we're playing to, uh, you know, to rebuild walls and rebuild gates around the world. One of the things coming up is miracle offering. And so part of God, allow me to be part of the solution. Begin to pray, God, what could you do through me? What do you want to give through me? You begin even to think, God, could I give this much? Is there a way you could help me to, 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 to jump in at this level to give this amount? Is there anything you could do over these next few weeks to allow me to participate at this level and at this place? You begin to pray that over and over and over again. Church, I want to pray for you. Will you, at every location, will you stand to your feet? Allow me to pray. And I want you to pray. I want you to pray too. Jesus, break our hearts. I pray that we would look at our own cities the way you looked at Jerusalem, we'd look at our own cities the way, you know, the, the way Nehemiah reacted when he heard of what was happening in Jerusalem. God, break our hearts for people who don't know you, who don't love you, who've never been shared the good news. Break our hearts for those people. And we ask you, God, mobilize us to get into the far places of New Hampshire, mobilize us, God, to get into the far places of the world. Mobilize us, Lord God, to share you with anybody who listen. Mobilize us, God. You promised you will build your church. You promised that you will bring salvation. We ask you, Lord, use us as part of the solution. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Church, let's sing just for a minute. And I want you to pray. Just may this be even a time of prayer for you. God, break my heart. 
please, Lord God, break 